Are you a young earth creationist who's worried about going to secular college? Are you worried about the evolution teacher making you think you came from monkeys? Well, you've come to the right place. Today we're going to talk to one of those evolutionary teachers. No, not that one. That one. And we're going to find out what the classroom is really like at secular college. Dr. Duff, how are you doing today? Well, hey, I'm doing great. This is a really, uh, wow, uh, you know, well, I got a little bit of experience having taught That's this true. many classes and seen this many students. So I have a few stories to tell. So awesome. I'm excited about that. Yeah. So fair, fair warning to everyone. I have absolutely no idea what he's going to say. So. <laughs> and maybe he doesn't either. So this would be fun. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. I have some ideas, but... All right, let's get but if you watched it. any of my videos, you know that something I, I don't know what's going to come up next. <laughs> All right. So uh, educational background and like what's what's your teaching experience? Uh, tell us about that. Well, I'm a product of uh, Calvin College up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So that's where my father went. And I um, that was four good years for a bachelor's degree in science. And then I went to the University of Tennessee and did a master's and a Ph.D. there both in molecular systematics. So in the department of botany. So molecular systematics, in case anyone out there is wondering, is applying tools, applying tools where you look at biological molecules and similar species, families, genera, populations are to each other. So you can assess whether something is a species. So I actually determined um, a couple different species. I've named some species, I've reorganized some groups. So it's taxonomy work. Um, but using biomolecules, and today that would be DNA, but I did protein work as well at that time. And then from there, I left uh, with my PhD and I went to the uh, Southern Illinois University, uh, go Salukis, and I did a postdoc there for four years. And there I did molecular characterization of chloroplast genomes in holoparasites. And holoparasites are, holo means whole, parasite means parasites, and these are holoparasitic plants. So those are plants that parasitize other plants, plants that don't do photosynthesis and they rob all their energy from another plant. Hmm. Uh, and so looked at some DNA stuff in those plants. And then from there, got the job I'm at now, which is at the University of Akron. Um, so that's my sort of my educational background. Okay. And what about your teaching background? So, I mean, how long have you taught people, students, all different kinds of people, I would assume? Yeah, my 23rd year at the University of Akron. And my primary bread and butter class for the first 15 years was non-majors biology. Taught a number of other courses uh, at the same time, but I started right out. I had expressed an interest on my job interview. Maybe that was a bad idea and saying like, I love to teach you know undergraduates, non-majors, really enjoy that type of class uh, and environment and a lot of other fact, they don't like to do that. So they pretty much jumped on there like, oh, yeah, Joel Duff can teach that class. And so I got started doing that. But that's really been important for me because as I look back, because it's allowed me to because you're teaching non-bio, you know, non-scientist. And this might be their only science class. And so it's like your opportunity to kind of like say, like, here's what's really great about science. What's interesting about science. Well, here's what science is mm -hmm. specifically in the area of biology. 
And it makes you take like a whole bunch of fundamental principles in biology and be able to communicate them to an audience that isn't like very science minded. Maybe doesn't have an interest in science. <laughs> you know, I don't do science well, you hear a lot. And so, but, but it, it, it helps me engage or helped me engage with um, those who don't understand science well. So it makes you think about complicated topics and try to put them into simple terms mm -hmm. uh, for students. So that, that was the, the main thing I did for many years. Uh, but along the way, I teach graduate courses in molecular methods. I've taught uh, biological systematics, which is right up my alley. I've taught a couple of different plant classes. I teach flora. So that's like going out and identifying plants. Uh, but lately, the last couple of years, I've been teaching general genetics uh, out of a need in our department for teaching genetics. And so I've kind of had to learn a whole lot of genetics uh, to do that. And the last couple of years, I've also been teaching evolutionary biology, which, uh, which we'll definitely talk about uh, here in a few minutes. So that's, right. that's, that's most of the teaching experience in terms of like in front of the classroom. I also have I also teach some labs and in other types of courses as well. Very cool. And of course, you're a Christian, but you also believe in evolution. So that'll play a big part into our conversation today. Um, but that means that you, you're getting, you know, some people go to college, many of these people, young earth creationists, they go to your, go to your classroom. They're not going to get that like, mean evolutionist trying to steal your faith kind of person um loving joel duff kind <laughs> and ready to give you evolution i guess is, we'll find out your approach actual approach but um, well some people who uh some people might disagree with that who i disagree with <laughs> on on the internet but yeah in in person i am a, a probably a much kinder person than I might be perceived by some people on the internet. <laughs> okay. That's probably true and, for a lot of people on the internet, right? <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, but you also, you, you work at a secular school, right? So you, yeah. you hear all the stories, I would assume. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mean the stories of, of students, uh, interactions, uh, yeah, sure. with, with faculty who may not have their say, well, how shall we say it? Their same worldview right. uh, or perspective on things. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you say, you know, do I run into young earth creationist or how many do I see in a classroom? Uh, honestly, I don't, see, I, I guess we'd have to ask what is a young earth creationist and <laughs> you, you've got your young earth creationist who are like gung ho um true believers right it is it's something that they really truly understand and it's really part of what makes them who they are in terms of their beliefs. it's very it's very central to their their overall core beliefs um and then you have your young earth creationists which i would say most of the students who i would say come into classrooms at secular institutions like like the one i work at um are young earth creationists in the sense that they may have gone to a christian school uh or maybe they're homeschooled um, or their church was a, a, was a very heavily influenced by young earth creationism. And so they, they were fed that kind of information most of their life. And they don't really, they've heard of other things. They don't know much else, but it's also not something that's like core or central to them. You know, there's many people who learn a lot about young earth creationism and it doesn't really, it just kind of like, they're not interested in those questions. Uh, and so they don't really think about it as being something that's like 
super central, like they're not personally invested in the topic themselves. They might call themselves, uh, yeah, well, I, I believe there was young or I don't really believe in evolution, just this general term evolution. They usually don't know what they mean by that when they say it, right. but you know, they say, I don't believe in evolution uh, because that's what I was taught or that's what, you know, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't seem to uh, support those, those particular views. And so you have, you, you'll have, I, I would say, uh, well, what's interesting is over 23 years, I've seen a big, what I think is a shift in the student body. And again, I'm just speaking from my experience here at this institution and have have worked at other places and been in, you know, seen other institutions and certainly met colleagues across the country. But still, this isn't I'm not giving an, a, an academic like scientific survey type answer. This is sort of like my particular experiences. But, you know, in talking to other faculty who have or have similar interests to mine. They've seen the same type of thing, you know, 20 some years ago, you could assume that, you know, a good third of your class was like familiar with young earth creationism, you know, at least had heard those ideas. Uh, and were certainly skeptical of the idea of, of evolution, even if they didn't believe in a young earth. And so you could expect there to be a, a number of students in your audience. And I have a class in general biology that has 150 students. So wow. there's, there's going to be a lot of them out there uh, in that situation. But I would say over the last few years, I, I, my expectation is there's a lot fewer of them. You know, many of them have never even heard of it. And there's fewer and fewer obvious examples of young earth creationists in the audience who are sort of the really vehement ones that really want to talk about the topic, right? It's really, it really, it really is something that's very close and dear to their heart. And so therefore their, their antennas are up, right? When they yeah. come into the classroom, but like, what's this professor going to say? And am I going to be challenged? And they may feel like they need to challenge somebody as well. Um, that I just don't, I don't experience. And I, a lot of my colleagues don't experience very often either. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So of course, this is a really important topic because um, I mean, I guess the stereotype is, uh, you know, younger creationist, you know, believes 6,000 year old earth and doesn't believe in evolution that we all came from monkeys or whatever. And, uh, you know, I guess there's this fear in a lot of churches and a lot of families and homes or whatever, that you're going to go to college and that atheist professor is going to, he's going to be a jerk and he's going to call you out and say you're stupid on the yeah. first day and he's going to talk you out of it and he's going to destroy your faith. Um, yeah. so, I mean, I kind of want to talk about that today a little bit. Um, but specifically like, I mean, can you talk about that general vibe that most, like, what are most young earth creationists that you've talked to? Like, what are they expecting when they first come to class? Well, I, first thing I'll say is uh, I've got news for everyone out there. The academic world isn't exactly like Expelled, the movie, if anyone <laughs> of you is familiar with that, right? This is this, this, this movie which portrays sort of that, what you're talking about this vibe of, okay, I'm going to send my student to this secular institution and they're going to be, you know, attacked from all sides and they're going to sit in this classroom and the professor is just going to just like hammer away and tell them they're wrong about everything. Uh, and if they try to object, they're going to be made fun of like in front of the rest of the class. Um, yes, we, I'm sure everyone has probably heard stories of particular professors who, may have been on a mission, right? 
to break students of their um, uh, their particular worldview that they feel is wrong. Uh, I find that those are few and far between, right? Those stories can filter around the internet and somebody can know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that had that particular type of experience. And young earth creationists sort of feed off of those particular stories, right? To create that perception that that's what's happening. Now, I'm not pretending that there aren't a lot of faculty that are a religious or certainly not young earth creationist and so aren't going to be sympathetic um, toward that view but it's also an academic environment where you have a situation where most of the faculty have been around a while have learned about pedagogical approaches of teaching in the sense <laughs> of being fair and open where especially in the sciences we tend to think of you know, I'm going to address this as, well, what, what's the evidence in this situation? And I'm not going to go beyond the evidence. And most faculty recognize that some of these topics, evolutionary biology, touch on questions that can't all be answered by science. And the faculty member might say, um, hey, I'm, I, you know, I disagree, or this is my particular view on things. Mm -hmm. But most of them really are sticking to the science. I'm sure there's a few that send off a vibe that they're you know they're they're very strident in sort of presenting some views uh and just making it sound like this is the consensus everybody believes this this is way what everyone believes and so i would imagine that there are some students that feel a little bit uncomfortable like here's what everyone believes and somehow i'm really different because of that um but that's going to be true for you know, you pick a bunch of different topics, a bunch of different issues and social things. You're always going to find something somewhere where you're a little out of tune with the the average person out there. Uh, and you have to be able to deal with that kind of, of controversy. And one thing that I find that most of my colleagues, and I hope myself, do really well is be able to allow a space for students to actually have discussion. Hmm. And if I could just... Uh, Maybe take a little tangent off of this. Okay, One interesting thing about interesting thing about the classroom is that when I said that some 20 some years ago, there would have been a lot of creationists or people who knew about creationism or had a creationist sort of tendency in their thinking in the classroom. And today there's not, I think not as many. And that can make some students probably more uncomfortable today if they're young earth creationists because they don't have any like internal support from other students uh, in their classroom. Um, but let's, I, I can flip this around though. And I can say that what I have found is that if you are a, uh, let's say you're a Christian who goes to a Christian school, let's say you go to a Christian university or college that has a fairly strong young earth creationist strain to it. Maybe they're completely young earth creationist, or maybe they just sort of lean that particular direction. What you can end up with in those classrooms is an atmosphere where it can be very difficult actually to talk about or to express like concerns about young earth creationism. Um, so it's almost like the, I, I don't think it's the actually opposite because I find in the, what I found really refreshing in the classroom that I have is that I feel like I can talk about a number of different topics i feel like i could be welping, welcoming to a lot of different people and i can get people to express their opinions because it's in an environment where kind of expecting people to be different hmm. and respect other people's ability to express themselves 
and have different viewpoints. In a Christian college, I've often wondered what it'd be like to teach there, where even a situation where um, even if, if you're in a strongly young earth creationist environment, students who might have questions, you know, they just like, I don't really understand this, or this really doesn't make sense to me. Um, there can be a lot of strong peer pressure there not to talk about there, not to ask those questions. And you can have the same kind of professors. <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but I, I can't, I don't have many stories of like, of atheistic professors that I know that come in and they're just, their, their, their mission is to destroy the faith of students. Hmm. Um, and most of them are very sensitive to that. And they live in an environment where they're sensitive to a lot of different concerns, things that maybe Christians aren't sensitive to and maybe don't care to be sensitive to uh, particular social issues and so forth. But one thing in the university environment is the fact that you are, what I found is really careful about not having religious sort of biases or calling out or being, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for there? They're, um, you're going to have to cut this because I have to remember, I have to remember what this word is. Go for it. Um, yeah, what's the other word from bias? I'm missing a really simple word here, but, uh, oh, this drives me crazy. <laughs> All right. I was on a roll. I'm, I'm going to a particular point, but now it's bothering me because I can't remember this word. Um, We'll just call it, all right, we'll just call it this. Fact they might have a bias, but they're very conscious of sometimes of that bias. They're trying to be very fair to students and not um, look like they are, you know, um, preferring one student over another student. And what I've, and the sad thing is, I probably have more stories from students at Christian universities who feel essentially bullied or or feel like they are being suppressed in terms of their their opinion at those institutions because they're not allowed to talk about those things, hmm. right? And 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 this and the the professor is very direct about like that's you know you can't believe that that's wrong you know and and it's like all things we're kind of talking about like students being scared of coming to the secular institution you can get like the reverse kind of discrimination hmm. um, at a secular institution. Uh, I'm sorry, a, a Christian institution. I said, my kids, uh, just, uh, sorry, another story. My my kids, uh, they go to a Christian school and there's a particular um, teacher at this Christian school okay. that is not a biologist, um, but is one of the teachers. They take it upon themselves, like the first unit of the class is always like Christian worldview in this particular science class. And so that's where they get the young earth creation is spiel and all these things. And one thing that's happened to several of my kids is that this particular teacher knows that I work as a biologist at a secular institution. And they always point that out. And they always point out that, you know, one of my kids has, a, you know, a parent that works at this secular institution. And then they also know that, you know, at this point that, that I have a blog and I write about this topic. And they have actually expressed their concerns in class in front of all the other students about the fact that my kids are possibly learning, you know, the wrong thing. To the point where other students have actually come to one of my kids 
and express their concern for their soul because they're worried about what they might be learning at home. So it's, it's, it's a very awkward thing. And, and my kids are not, I'm not like, you know, we don't really talk about this topic very much. It's hard to believe as much as I talk about it, I don't really like beat this into my kids. It's more an exploration of what, what are your questions? We, we talk about things. They come home with questions. They ask questions about things they've heard and they have questions and they've tried to ask them uh, in class and they essentially get made fun of for having those questions. Um, and so there's, that's something that honestly, it just doesn't really happen so much at, in my experience in the institutions that I've been involved with. Certainly none of my colleagues would ever um, have an issue with a young earth creationist um, in class. I mean, if that young earth creationist were to express their view, now the faculty member is going to express their view back, but I don't think they're going to feel mistreated uh, in that interaction. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, um, I mean, so I I went to community college and took some science classes there, and the the first teacher, Bio One Hundred One, he didn't even mention evolution like the entire class, and then the second one was like on taxonomy, and like that was mentioned, but like. It was very short, like it was just not a big deal at all, which of course, you know, that's all teachers all different or whatever. But um, yeah, I I certainly didn't get that vibe and neither of my siblings did when we were at any of the those classes. So that's really interesting to hear um, because like, you know, we were homeschooled, so we we didn't didn't know what to expect, honestly, Um, that. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of odd that it might be more common, like unexpected, especially like our, our background and all. Um, I think, I think my students in particular are surprised. I do know that I, I do know, cause I've talked, I get to know some of the students <laughs> Yeah. and I always tell them they can come talk to me outside of class. I'm very open about, because they'll realize at some point in my class that uh-huh. I'm a Christian, you know, I, I mean, it's not like I get up and say, on the first day of class, I'm a Christian. I just want you to know that, you know, it's, I don't have this like spiel about that. It simply is who I am. That's going yeah. to be exposed at some point during the class. And I also have anonymous Q and A days in which they can ask whatever they want. So they will often ask personal questions that I give personal answers to those questions. Um, but, you know, so they will, they will, all the students in the class who might come in with a, a sort of like, oh, you know, what am I going to learn about this particular topic? And they're nervous, uh, are going to hear me say things. I think they're going to make them feel like, well, maybe I could talk to him. And so I have many students who've come to me after class or my office hours and have discussions uh, on this on this particular topic. And I'm not saying every other faculty member do that. What happens in my college is faculty member has a student has a question about science and faith or like you know i'm having difficulty understanding this topic compared to things i've learned in the past and so i'm having this conflict it's like well go see joel duff he's down in room you know what you know that you know so it's like i'm i'm the the go-to source for having those sit down discussions uh with students um and so i've had i mean literally a hundred discussions with students over the years in my office on a wide range of topics, but often sort of this, you know, here's my, here's what my background is. And you said these things, I was really surprised by that. And, you know, and, and they don't all walk out of the room like, oh, Dr. Duff is right. 
It's more like, (laughs) and I don't tell them, here's what you should believe. It's, Mm. it's a, it's a conversation about, tell me what what you think and what what you're struggling with and i'll give you some some other perspectives and things you could read and um and it's you don't have to make this decision today about all these different questions you have this is a lifelong learning process and the only thing you're doing in this class is you're getting some more information and you're learning here's what the consensus view of what maybe of evolutionary biology of what what scientists think including a lot of christians and you need to make of it what you will you know you need to incorporate that into other things that you have learned and you need to use those tools to be critical also of other things that you hear so that you can assess that knowledge Hmm. interesting okay uh so i mean you said you said that you know you don't have many stories um at the same time uh we want the juice Dr. Duff, we want the good stuff. Uh, you got to um, bring it strong. All right. Yeah, bring it strong. Uh, don't hold back any punches. Uh, tell us, what are, you, what are your horror stories of, of things you've heard? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to be so disappointing to you. Oh. I just don't have any horror stories. And, and you might think that I do. And it's not horror stories. I don't have horror stories about other people. I don't even have horror stories about myself. I have, but it's not that I don't have any stories at all. I'm just saying they're not terrible, right? (laughs) So, but I think they, I think they'll be interesting. I think they, they provide some perspective. Um, So I think it was, yeah, two years ago uh, during the pandemic, actually, we, I had a class and this is my evolutionary biology class. And I had a bunch of honor students in the class and they have to do like some extra thing, right? To get their honors credit because it wasn't like an officially an honors course, but they needed some honor credit. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to, you know, go the extra mile to help you get this honors credit, but you, you've got to do this assignment. And the assignment was, you know, find something I've said in the class, right? That piqued your interest. You wanted to know more about. It could be controversial or not controversial, but you need to write me a paper, you know, uh, about that. And, you know, by the end of the semester and then we'll have it, we'll sit down, I'll read the paper, but you also have to come in and I have to have like a half hour discussion about it, right? You have to, you have to have converse with me on this particular topic. So you have to show me you've advanced your knowledge well beyond something that I taught you in the class. And I, I got one of these papers and I opened up the paper and the whole paper was about, you know, what's, uh, what's wrong with um, evolution just generally, but it was, it was about natural selection more specifically. And I'm reading through this paper and I realized I, I'm skimming down the paper and I'm thinking, I, I, you know, I know this literature, the, the anti-evolution literature so well. Like I'm recognizing like every single argument in this, in this paper it wasn't plagiarized, but it was, it was written well, but it certainly had all the ideas, right. That I've heard many, many times. So basically, and I go down. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so basically, he just like you know pulled up a answers in Genesis blog and just like copied the arguments. <laughs> in this case, it was Discovery Institute. Oh, okay. <laughs> All the references were to articles at the Discovery Institute, and Discovery Institute also has a journal, Origins Journal, and which kind of looks like a, a real peer review journal. And they had gone as far as actually to read and look in some of those papers as well. And I hadn't even asked them really. I hadn't really made a big deal about sources. Um, they had to have some sources, but um, they were very intent on like looking at a lot of stuff. But it turns out it was like 
all Discovery Institute or related things because they had branched out from that, but they still had still fallen on the envelope of intelligent design. And so this whole thing was like this, this uh, counter argument to uh, some things that I had said in class. We, we talk about Paley, we talk about design and a bunch of stuff in, in my class when we, we do a lot of talk about philosophy of science in the class. It was, it's, that's why it's such a fun class to teach. And students come out of there and they're like, that was so much more interesting than I thought. I didn't, had no idea that we'd learn this kind of stuff in evolutionary biology class. Oh, sorry, tangent. Now, so anyway, I'm skimming through this, this article uh, that they had, or this paper they had written. And I see all these references and I'm thinking, you know, and I, I know, I know this student and sits right up front. And I knew that they're, they're, they're really intelligent. I'm starting thinking like, like, okay, are they going to come in now? We gotta, I gotta have this half hour conversation. You know, how, how's that going to go? Are they going to be like, you know, nervous about it? Am I going to be nervous about it? Um, and they come in and it turns out that he just likes to write you know, in, from English, he's always liked to write like contrary viewpoints. Like that's the way he stretches himself. It's like, can I find, can I make my best argument against something? He wasn't really necessarily opposed to anything that we had talked about in the class, but he wanted to find the best argument against it. So he, he did look at, he didn't know anything about intelligent designer, like that movement or anything like that, but he had fallen into this like area of literature and that's what he developed from it. But then I got talking to him. And uh, he had a friend as well that came along. I think he was just interested to see like what I was going to say. It was like, you know, can, can he join us for the conversation? I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, what am I getting myself into here now? And, you know, we get talking and they're both Catholic by upbringing. And they, they really understood a bunch of doctrinal stuff. We got really talking about uh, the Garden of Eden. We got talking about original sin. You know, we got into a whole bunch of stuff. My half hour turned into two hours you know, of, of conversation that sort of took off on, yeah, here's all the things that, you know, that, that this exploration has sort of brought up that they hadn't thought about for many, many years. Like, how does, how do all these things work? And they didn't have any strong opinion in any particular direction. But they were just fascinated to be able to to learn and to be like forced to think about these things uh, in class. That's story number one. <laughs> okay. Fascinating. So did the did you convince them? Are they evolutionists now? Um. Yeah. At the end of the conversation, he's like, "Yeah, I think most everything <laughs> you you said kind of you know makes sense," and I. You know, I, I don't have any objections to the science of this, but you have to understand when you say, did I, did I convince them of evolution? Uh, just like in your introduction, you said like, you know, Joel Duff's, uh, believes in evolution. I, I, mm. I didn't cringe. I didn't make the eh, look at you when you said that, but I never liked that term believe. Right. Uh, and I, I say that in class too. I'm, I'm not a believer in evolution. <laughs> I. I find it, I find evolutionary theory and the mechanisms uh, explored in evolutionary theory, natural selection, genetic drift, and all the various things as powerful, a powerful hypothesis and, and theory that does a very good job of explaining the diversity we see outside around us. And if I wanted to know why is that plant like 
look the way it does? And why is that animal scurrying around? Why is it behaving the way it does? It provides me really powerful tools to be able to explain why that why that is. Um, and that's that's not so much like cell to human being type evolution. It's just like explaining the inner workings of just how biology functions, but it's within this context of how organisms are adapting and changing. And I say like, in class, I say like, this is just really, you know, there might be other theories. There might be other hypotheses that come along that explain all of these types of things better, might give you a better explanation for it. And so at the moment, I find it is the best, you know, it's the best way of explaining naturalistically how these things could occur. And I think my students in my class kind of get the vibe like, okay, well, I, I'm very careful about using word naturalistic. And these are, you know, these are, these are mechanisms that work and that we can investigate with scientific tools. And obviously there are questions that we can't really address with scientific tools at times. So there are other potential answers to some of these questions. Um, I say for what I've got, oh yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we had that kind of discussion. I had that kind of discussion with those two students you know, about this isn't all or nothing. This is, mm -hmm. this is a really, you know, you have to recognize the power of evolutionary theory to explain a lot of aspects of the physical world around us. You might choose to say, I, you know, in my views of this doctrine or my views of from scripture and my interpretation of that, I can't accept certain aspects of the entirety of this massive thing you might call evolution which is like some kind of global explanation for everything, which is the way I think young earth creationists try to like present it as like, it's all, you got to take it all in. Mm. But you know, the origin of life, that's a, you know, that's a really complex question. And, and it, there's no reason you know, it's the world is complex and life is complex, you know, and integrating the physical world with the metaphysical non-physical world that we believe exists is not a simple and trivial thing that anyone thinks they should just have the answer for in a couple minutes with a discussion with a professor. Mm -hmm. And so I always treat it as here's some perspectives and here's some things you need to know. And you, and you need to just understand this, these ideas, because these ideas are widespread and well accepted. And it, it's, it wouldn't be smart not to understand at least what evolutionary biology is suggesting. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know me. I got to use that 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 slang. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you if you guys want to learn more about that, uh, I we Dr. Duff and I talked about that a lot on our uh, previous interview on uh, Young Earth Creationism. Strongly our previous encounter. Oh snap! Uh, so, um, kind of on that topic, uh, I wanted to ask you. So, like, uh, you know. A lot of people are afraid of going into the evolutionary professor's classroom. Uh, at the same time, um, another thought that a lot of people have is once you get in there, how are you going to, how is the young earth creationist going to talk to the professor? Are they, is he going to, you know, yell at him? That's not true. I'm that, just going to cut you off. Tough. Yeah, right. Am I going to make it seem a... like you just shouldn't even ask a question? Yeah, well, the, yeah, that. I, well, that's, you know, that that whole discussion and then um, or the more reserved way where you don't tell them you're younger than creationist, but you, you know, you write papers to him um, for assignments, disproving evolution like covertly or 
third option, you, um, you pretend like you're an evolutionist just to get the A, but you're not. So like, for example, my sister, really, really smart person, and she got 4.0s in all her college, um, young earth creationist, and uh, her biology teacher was like, well, you really understand this. And then, you know, she comes home, she's like, boy, she doesn't know that I'm a young earth creationist. I, I fully understand the evolution and, you know, whatever. And like, there's an interesting thing, psychology, sociological thing going on there. But from a teacher perspective, like, what do you request of your students? Do you, do you make them like, give you what you want to hear? Or how does that all work? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, it kind of goes back to one of those first questions about like, how many young earth creationists are there in the classroom or how do I, you know, what's happening? How many are coming in? Mm -hmm. And part of it is you don't really know, right? Because of mm -hmm. just the things you just said, some of them just will never say a word and they might be excellent students and they look like they're just, you know, I look at them, they look like they're taking it all in and they seem to be enjoying the topic. And then you do find out later potentially that, you know, it's just kind of like one in one ear out the other and i i memorized what i needed to memorize and wrote the answers down um although that's a little hard to do in my class and pass the class just <laughs> memorize information you really have to integrate you really have to be able to uh take information and be given a problem basically and be able to apply a bunch of different ideas to give a, a plausible explanation for something but back to your point um so what I would do in my class, so this is true for my non-major. So let me, let me talk about my non-majors class real quick. So in my non-majors class, that's kind of a, a walkthrough biology. And as you said, you could take that class and maybe evolutionary biology isn't a central component of it at all. Uh, and some faculty might just choose to avoid the topic. There, there are faculty who um, really don't want to deal with students who, who might, the other option you didn't give was, they might go through the class, not say a thing. And the way they get feedback is the student evaluation form, right? <laughs> Which is anonymous. And then they write out like this whole like book for you about everything you did wrong and how they hate what you said. And then you just don't know where it came from. You don't know who it was. Um, and there are faculty there, I think, deathly afraid of those kind of interactions because some at some institutions, those types of responses um, can be problematic in terms of <laughs> you getting tenure or whatever, right? Yeah, and so mm. it might affect your raise. And so there, there is a sociological effect there, even on the faculty member side of maybe fearing certain topics and, and sort of avoiding them. Um, I don't think that that's really much the case uh, these days, but I'm sorry, now I've gone off on a tangent. I've probably lost where I was. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do I do in my non-majors class? All right. Yeah, in my non-majors class, what would the experience be like for an undergraduate student, usually a freshman? Like they're just coming into college, maybe it's their first semester, I'm doing fall semester and I've got 200 students in my class, right? So just the very fact that I have 200 students means that there's gonna be some limited ability to have like direct interaction with me. Um, you know, I have office hours, but most freshmen are very intimidated. They're not really interested in coming to that as much as I try to say like, oh, you know, I'm really friendly, come see me. I'd love to talk to you. Um, but so students are coming to the class. So how do I make it such that they feel like they understand what I want them to know? 
And how do I enable students with a wide variety of different viewpoints coming in? Because you remember, this isn't just young earth creationists that are in the classroom that are like, maybe have questions about mm -hmm. this thing called evolution, which they may not know what it is, right? There's students that come from other different worldviews besides a, uh, a, a fundamentalistic uh, Christian background, right? And so there's plenty of ways to offend a lot of different people you know, in that classroom. When you, when you get talking on this subject. So how do I sort of accommodate different views and allow students to express themselves and enable them to ask questions that I think they deserve to be able to ask in a, in a college setting, in a college class? Because here's the information that's being imparted to them. Here's mm -hmm. what they're being asked to learn. But how do they get to interact with it? So here's what I do. So I there's one section of the course which is about the diversity of life and uh, classification um, and the importance of just having appreciation for just how many different things and how many different species there are in the world and of course then that leads to the question of like why are there so many different species why are there so many beetles but there's only three different kinds of elephants and a biological basic biology a basic fundamental thing in biology would be, if you're curious about biology, would be like, yeah, why is that? Well, what governs that? What determines that? And you could say, God made it that way. He just decided there's going to be two elephants. There's going to be a hundred thousand different beetles and just made it exactly so. Or evolutionary biology provides a potential explanation from a, from a perspective of a uh, naturalistic perspective of how that could have occurred, how that could have come about and what maintains that particular diversity. Right, all this, sorry, long preamble to be able to say that I get to this particular unit in the class and I usually have some kind of spiel at that point where I say, I know like you got, we got a couple lectures coming up on this topic, evolutionary biology or the origins of diversity or something like that. And I say, I know we got this section coming up and you might be wondering like, what's this professor gonna say? Like, what, you know, what, what's he gonna say about this stuff? Is it, what's he gonna tell you you must believe? And I say right away, I'm not gonna tell you anything you must believe. I'm simply going to present to you the, um, the biological theories that have been proposed to explain the, the, the reasons for mm -hmm. diversity on this earth. And what I'm also going to do is I'm going to present uh, to you, uh, I don't think I'm going to present anything to you that's actually going to sound all that controversial. And you're going to be a little bit surprised when we go through this at how uncontroversial it really is. Because most of you have one idea of what evolutionary biology is in your head, and you're thinking it's all about chance molecules and making the original cell and then somehow making cells into human beings. And although certainly that's encapsulated in the idea, the extension of evolutionary theory into like how far could it go in terms of explaining all the diversity on the world. But that's not really what we're going to do in class. We're going to talk about natural selection. We're going to talk about mechanisms for how organisms are adapting to the environment around us. And we might say, here's how it could, it could explain things over long periods of time and the diversity of fossils that you see. But 95% of what we're going to learn, uh, you're not going to find controversial. You're probably going to say like, oh, really? That's, you know, what that is. So I kind of try to set them at ease just to let them know that 
this is just something that I think everybody needs to know about. You need to know what evolutionary theory, you know, you need to know what evolutionary biologists are saying um, and not be told by somebody else who is an anti-evolutionist or doesn't believe, <laughs> believe in evolution. You need to, you need to allow yourself to learn what biologists in general think that this thing evolution is and how it, how it functions. Uh, just because you need to understand it so that you can communicate to others about it and have intelligent conversations about it. And so it's not about believing it. It's about simply mm. understanding the principles um, of it. All right. So that's just the beginning. Then we have some lectures and then I have, um, I have a Q and a session and sometimes I have two Q and a sessions. And what my Q and a session is this, it's an anonymous, anonymous Q and a, I give them all index cards the 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 day before uh, the, the this particular class period, and I tell them they can write down any question they want about me I, about me about any topic we've discussed in the class. And of course, we're doing this right after talking about evolutionary biology, so I know that a lot of the questions <laughs> will be about will be about evolutionary biology. And I tell them, I say, you know what? I don't want you to think that I've cherry picked information because this is a huge topic. I teach a whole class for a whole semester. And even after that semester, I think they really need like three more semesters mm. to actually understand this topic fully, <laughs> more fully. And I'm only giving you four or five lectures, right? So this is, a, this is a huge topic, a huge field that you could study for an entire graduate degree and you're getting a couple of weeks. I don't want you to feel like that in my shortcut summary, right? Mm. In which I've just given you the basics here, that I have cherry picked like what I think you should know and that I've avoided the hard questions and that I am not talking about some things and I am picking information that, that fits something that I am trying to convince you of. Right. And so I don't want you to, to feel like you can't ask those questions. So what I'm doing is you can ask me anything you want and I have to try to answer it. And you could, you could go out and you could say like, I saw this on Facebook. You know, maybe you don't want to like say you are asking the question yourself. You could say like, I saw this on Facebook. You know, somebody said that blah, blah, blah is, is a really good reason why evolution isn't true or this particular aspect of evolution doesn't work. Challenge, right? I, sometimes I call it stump the professor day, right? This is your chance to like ask whatever you've always wondered about too. Like you just, people have questions. Like, I've always wondered, how does that work? Or how did you get that? Or I hear people say this about evolution. Is that true? What do you think about that? And inevitably, what also comes up is like, well, what about Adam and Eve? Hmm. I get a lot of questions about that, really. I get a lot of questions about what about humans evolving, I get questions about chimpanzees and humans. Um, and I also get questions about origin of life. I get questions about dinosaurs, <laughs> you know, the works. And it's, it's a time for them to pretty much just force me to ask, answer something rather than me being the one up there just telling them information. And almost always the students really enjoy this particular time. And then I have a couple of lectures afterwards and you know what happens is they haven't really talked all semester. They're very quiet, they're timid because they're usually freshmen. And then after I do the Q&A session, it's like everyone's got questions after that. Because it's like I try to demonstrate in doing my Q&A time that I'm not simply here like preaching to them, 
but I'm taking their question. I'm taking it seriously. I'm listening to their concern. And then I'm saying to myself, and then what I present to them is I don't say like, well, here's the answer. I say, here is what I know a bunch of people would say to that. Here, here's what I think the consensus answer to that question would be based on all the scientific uh, evidence that I know about, right? All the different work that's been done. And I might also then point out, here's what I think are, um, here are stumbling points. Here, I, I recognize in your question, this is where people struggle. And I'll give like, here's, here's like two or three different ways people have tried to understand this. Because sometimes there's a lot of questions that do bridge on that science and faith thing. And one thing, one, one reason I do this as well is because at a secular institution, I'm not really going to just come out and talk about my particular mm. views or perspectives on things as part of my lecture. But if asked a question about it, I don't feel like, like that's, you're asking me personally about that. I'm going to respond. And I try to do that very much. So in a like, here's things that I think about when I'm thinking about this particular question and here's answers. So I give a perspective of different views um, when I do that. And it's a really, usually a fun time. It's super stressful for me at times. Um, and I've heard most of the questions now, but that doesn't mean I always have good answers to them. It's also good for me because it's a good exercise in, you know, doing things like this. You're going to get asked questions and maybe you don't know what the question is. Can you take, and I, and I even frame it to the students this way. I said, you're going to ask me about something that I've never thought about before. You know, I don't know about that particular organism or that particular feature of that organism or how this happened or whatever, right? And you're going to ask me about that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of my general biology knowledge about how biology functions, and I'm going to draw up a hypothesis for you based on that. And it's going to be a reasonable hypothesis. I can't tell you it's, you know, it's been vetted and it's a theory and it's actually accurate, but I'm going to show you how you can take disparate pieces of information that you've learned and come up with a, a, an answer. Cause isn't that what we're doing in college? Aren't we learning a whole bunch of information? and ways to think about information, integrating information, because you can't just memorize everything you're going to need to know the rest of your life, right? You can't just, what you're going to do is you're going to go out into the workforce and you're going to be confronted with something kind of different than something you learned. And what you do is integrate all the things you've learned and figure out how to solve that particular problem. And we do that in biology too. We do that in science. I can't know everything about the area of biology. I don't even know everything about some sub-disciplines in the area of biology but I can infer a lot of things about how something might work because I understand the general principles of biology. And if I understand the general principles of how organisms adapt in their environment, I'm also able to then come up with rational, reasonable, potential answers to questions that I've never been asked before and I've never actually read about um, before. And so I, I treat it as an exercise for showing students how they should be thinking about what learning is and how to apply learning and how generating this base of knowledge as they're taking their classes is helping them become somebody who can think and integrate knowledge uh, mm. later in life. Sorry, long, no, long it. answer to that. Uh, so yes or no question uh, on your tests, do you say, is evolution true, true or false? Is that, is that on your tests? <laughs> I never asked that question. Okay. I would never ask anything that's that's like that. I, you know, I would I would ask it. I would ask questions as to um, uh, scientists. 
which of the following pieces of evidence do scientists feel is the most compelling for mm. common ancestry or something like that? And here's four examples of things we talked about, one of which is not a very good, some of which are not actually compelling reasons why anyone should believe in common ancestry, but maybe mm. another one is. Um, and that's one we talked about in class and I explained why these particular things uh, develop that idea and uh, and are evidence of of common ancestry but it's not asking them do you think it's mm. true that all organisms have common ancestry but mm. what is the best evidence for it i think they should be aware of what the best mm. evidence is yeah when i went to liberty uh i had a theology class and like you know of course you get calvinism arminianism all that kind of stuff in there and like on the <laughs> test it was like basically basically saying like is this view true it's like how do you answer that? <laughs> hmm. And uh, it was a really weird question. I, I got to yeah, be in the that's... class. Um, so I don't know if that helped or hindered it. Uh, another one, though, at Liberty, uh, j just. Well, all those uh, answers yeah. are true to you. So, I mean, uh, I appreciate that. I'll let, I'll let the teacher know uh, eight years later or whatever. Uh, um, also, another one uh, someone posted on Facebook. It was like a resurrection question. Um, Jesus' resurrection is like, you know, is it, are we justified in believing that all the disciples believe that Jesus rose from the dead? It's like, are we justified? Like, that seems like a completely personal question or like, how do you, <laughs> that was at Liberty. Yeah. It was like really weird. Like, yeah. where, where are these questions coming from? Um, no, and I think I can speak for a, a lot of colleagues I know that they wouldn't ask mm -hmm. those types of questions either. Um, you know, because it because it's it's about mm -hmm. weighing evidence, and which one has the greatest amount of evidence. And we wouldn't ask a question about like which has more evidence <laughs> this um, this uh, theological uh, construct for how to understand this or this scientific one. You're not, we're not going to juxtapose, juxtapose, what's the word? Juxtapose. juxtapose. Yep. There you juxtapose. go. Juxtapose. Yeah, there we go. We're not going to juxtapose those two things with each other and ask students to choose, right? What we're going to do is we're going to juxtapose different ideas that people have for how to explain the, the observations we've made in this world, physical observations. And here's somebody's hypothesis for how to explain that particular set of data. And somebody else has a different idea. Um, and you might be able, you might have to be, you might have to come up with like, based on what I know, this one appears to have greater support because it fits, it, mm. it has these particular sets of support. Mm. And this other one lacks support, right? They had bad sample sizes. And so I can't really trust their particular data set anyway, or something like that. Right. So we're not really asking those kind of, you know, not trying to ask those type of metaphysical questions. It's it's it is a science class. And in a way, I find being able to teach science is kind of an advantage over maybe teaching mm -hmm. history or philosophy or, or religion course or political science. I mean, you're going to get into all kinds of thorny issues over there um, and you're 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 debating ideas. And you don't really have a mechanism to decide which ideas, well, yeah. you don't have the same kind of mechanism to decide which idea is right. Whereas in science, we can just say, look, you know, come with the, you know, bring your evidence. <laughs> it's like, you know, here's all, here's all my observations and here's, here's my mm -hmm. logic and, and lay it out. 
and that's not always convincing to everyone. But at the end of the day, you're still only answering questions mm. that science can answer. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, no horror stories, sadly. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, you already told us you're approaching classes. Um, do, uh, you, what are your requirements for tests? You already talked about that. Um, do you have any students that are like, I'm going to prove that teacher wrong? Like, I'm, how often does that happen? Um, very, very rarely, very rarely. I, I just, I just, I don't have, I have never had a student like exclaim in class, like ask a question that sounds like they're just like, you're wrong. And I'm, I'm just trying to, mm. trying to get you with a gotcha question. Um, you know, it's kind of, maybe that's kind of surprising because like answers in Genesis and other creationist groups, they put out all these videos and things like that, that make it sound like, here's the question, were you there? And you should ask these types of questions of your teachers. And yet I never hear those questions. Um, now one reason for that is I think, as I said before, I don't think you could take my class without realizing mm. that I'm religious and that I am sensitive to the concerns of students who have, uh, you know, that are religious. And I think that I don't have a caustic off-putting, you know, way of approaching things. Right. I feel like students find that I'm very open and they feel like if they really had a, a gotcha question, they feel mm. like they could come and talk to me. Like I said, I have many students who come talk to me and, I've had in private conversations, I've had students ask me fairly pointed questions, but they're always in a very polite manner. Um, and again, maybe they didn't intend to be polite originally, but maybe my style leads to them being more polite. And that kind of goes to another question I think we're going to get to, which is sort of the approach, you know, students mm. should use with faculty to be able to have intelligent conversations with them. And that involves their particular, mm. their attitude as well. I mean, of course, you're always reading the faculty member and sort of what feedback you're probably going to get. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have the, I've never had those sort of, those types of interactions in any of my classes. And I, and I hardly ever hear stories about that in yeah. any of my Well, I was going to say it's because like, I mean, obviously, like, I think that if you treat your students with love and like, like you're, you're really there to help them out. You're not trying to like prove them or anything. Like they're going to notice that they're going to respect you for that. And they're not going to like treat you like you're, you know, some teacher to prove wrong or whatever. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe you said that you, you don't hear about that often at all. So maybe that's just. Well, I, I do get, I do get um, student evaluations and I have written comments there and I will have a few, I have had students who have told me, well, okay. I get a couple different kinds of responses. I get the, I came in, I was nervous. I do, I have responses that say, I was nervous coming to class. I didn't know, you know, mm. sort of what I was going to hear. I didn't know what we were going to talk about. Uh, but the way you talked about it, I found I really enjoyed the topic. I learned a lot. I don't necessarily agree mm. with everything you said, but I really appreciate, mm. you know, appreciated the course. I have had a few that have just gone on little mini rants about like, you know, <laughs> I was wrong about something. And it's obviously they were, they were, Ups, you know, something huh. really touched them, right? That that they were upset about something, but they never confronted with. They, mm. they didn't confront me in class about that. 
And you know, that part of that is honestly, it could be peer pressure too, because you're going to stand up or say something in yeah. class in front of a bunch of peers, which today that goes back to what I started out talking about, which is 23 years ago, you could assume that a larger portion of your class was probably more influenced and uh, by young earth creationism, or at least was more religious, right? Had a, had a stronger Christian foundation, uh, biblical foundation. And now in our present society, we just have fewer people that know like what you know, even young earth creationism is or have an idea that that mm. is an interpretation of scripture or even knows the biblical story at all. I have also had comments where students are upset that I even talk about, like even I even answer questions about creationism because I get a lot of questions about young earth creationism mm -hmm. in, those, in those anonymous question days. Um, and part of the reason I get that is because I do actually talk about Ken Ham and I talk about young earth creationism as a, uh, I present sort of an alternative <laughs> viewpoint. Uh, I, I'm not like here's something else you could think about. I, I, I actually presented as you've probably seen me actually talk about this as sort of the the thing of the challenge to the class. I say, like, I understand that many of you don't want to you, you just like you don't want to accept common ancestry of all living things. And I kind of go through that sort of like tree model. I actually have an image and it has like a tree with lots and lots of little branches and little tips. And I say all the tips are different species. And, you know, some people. You, know, you have to make you have to make a choice. It's not me. I'm giving you some options, but you have to make the choice. You might believe that all the tips represent what God made. And I think there are students that come into the class. They don't really understand anything. They just know that God made uh -huh. everything right at the beginning. And he made all the kinds and they think kinds are species, right? And so they think that, okay, there's a hundred thousand species I've talked about. And every single one of those was made just like they are that we see today by God. And I point out, I say, um, that that is one, you know, belief system you could have. But I will say that most people that have thought about this that are creationist or religious, right? That are they're fundamentalist mm -hmm. that are Christians. Most Christians that have thought about this don't actually think that, right? And so even some of the students that come in have misconceptions about what creationism, mm -hmm. creationists believe, right? What what they've been taught or think they've been taught. <laughs> And so I say, well, let's go down this branch. You know, there's a branch between a coyote and a wolf, and there's a common ancestor there. And um, and I can pretty much see that almost everyone in the class goes, yeah, you're right. There was a common ancestor to a wolf and a coyote. Um, and then I say, well, what about, you know, a uh, an, an African wild dog? Well, yeah, there's probably a common ancestor to that. And then, you know, we just keep going back. You know, I keep saying, well, at some point you have to make your decision. Like if you don't believe in evolution, right? And you don't think that that everything evolved from a common ancestor, then what you're telling me is that some things have evolved to some extent. Coyotes and wolves have evolved from common ancestors, but not every but they don't have an ancestor. So you have to find your ancestor. Where do you think your ancestor stops? Um, and for human beings, I, I, you know, creationists all have the same answer, but for everything else, everybody has a different answer. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things I actually talk about in class, just to point out how hard this question is. It's not a matter of it's evolution or creationism. There's sort of like this mm -hmm. wide swath in between. And even Ken Ham, of course, is you know this because you've talked to Marcus Ross, but you know that Ken Ham is really upset about some creationists that are accepting too much evolution. All it means is they're they're taking that notch down of common ancestry maybe a little bit mm -hmm. farther than he thinks it should go. So 
It's just different variations of how much evolution are you going to accept. And so that's one thing they, that I think all of my students see in the class is that everybody accepts, virtually everybody accepts that there's natural selection, that there's genetic drift, that there's mutations happening, that organisms are adapting to the environment, that one species can make two species, and there's all these different ways that can happen. And so they kind of see like, oh yeah, all this stuff does really happen. And then all you're left with is, how far back can I go and find common ancestors? And I don't really talk about that a lot in class. I don't really push the whole universal common ancestor thing because I don't think that's really that important of a topic. I think it's really about understanding like how the world functions today, how the diversity we get has happened over the last you know thousands of years, what's really happening in this world. And they can see that with their eyes. And that's why I tell them it's not gonna be that controversial. You're gonna you're gonna have to ask yourself where the controversial mm. points are, and ask yourself what what would stop what stops common ancestry from not being true. You know what evidence would you need to convince yourself of that? And if that evidence is, I have to abide by a particular interpretation of scripture in order to hold these particular doctrines, and uphold my faith. Well, then maybe you're gonna have to stop at some point. You have to say like, canines can't be related to cats. But other of you might think that canines and cats might have a common ancestor, but carnivores don't have a common ancestor. Yep. So, so don't get too upset when somebody else says something that you think <laughs> is evolution, because you probably also accept a whole bunch of evolution. You just don't know it, except now you know it after you've uh -huh. taken the class. And this is why uh, you got people like Marcus Ross, who's a micro or, or who's a young earth evolutionist that's ruining the <laughs> the the hearts and minds of lots of young earthers um you know um yeah i know and you've talked to him and, and he is so articulate and you know he would be very sensitive in a in a yeah. in a class and he would answer questions like if i was a not a young earth creationist but i was going to a college and he was the professor there and he was teaching creationism he would listen to other views he would answer those questions and he would give a percent. Here's what, here's a way that I think you can try to understand this mm -hmm. within a perspective of young earth creationism. At the end of the day, you'd say, I understand that you could also interpret the evidence this other way. Now that's, that's different than Ken Ham's version of, of young earth creationism and his sure. apologetic, his method. It's just, you must believe this uh, and don't ask questions. We've answered it, right? We have all <laughs> the answer books. And so just go look up mm -hmm. the answer. Yeah. But that that's not what college is about. I think that's what that's why it's so difficult for him to understand and accept that, you know, that college professors who are at Christian colleges aren't exactly in tune with his type of apologetic, his way of teaching young earth creationism, which is not one of questions and exploration and like examining different hypotheses it's about like well we have the answer so why should you you know hmm. even ask questions hmm. yeah you should um you should make a video on that sometime you know maybe add it to your list of 200 <laughs> videos yeah well add it to my list of 400 <laughs> other videos I've, I've got to work on yeah no yeah, i should um, that is, that's a good topic okay so uh yeah comment in the description if you want dr duff to talk about that <laughs> um we'll get a poll uh um yeah so uh okay what do you think is the best approach for students to take if they disagree with uh, their evolutionary teacher 
Yeah, that's 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 a really great question. Um, I think it. I think first of all, um, I, I rarely find that any kind of like I'm just going to stick it to this fact, mm -hmm. this this fact or this teacher, right? Uh, I am I'm so convinced of my truth, and everybody else needs to hear it, right? So I am going to every time a chance I get, I'm going to say something that's going to contradict something that, that the teacher is saying. Um, that's sort of the view you get in some of these videos that have been put out by mm -hmm. some creationist organizations that, you know, you need to stand up and you need to like, oh, here's my data. You can't answer this. You can't answer this. You can't answer that. Well, what about this? And then always in those, in those movies or videos, what happens is you see the, the teacher up front looking like, I wasn't expecting other questions. Like I only knew the things I was supposed to say and they caught me off guard and I don't really have the answers to those things. And and then all of a sudden, everyone else in the class is like, wow, look at that. They don't really know that much and they can't really answer these questions. So maybe there are all other viewpoints mm. that I should be considering. I can tell you that that might happen in some classroom somewhere, probably with an adjunct professor that's teaching the class for the first time. But you know what's not going to happen in my class. I mean, I've heard every single gotcha question, right? I've, I've talked about them all. Uh, that's what a lot of my students don't realize when they do the anonymous question day, because they do ask some of those gotcha questions at that point, is that I know all those questions and I already have the Oh, so you're Ken answers. Ham. <laughs> I'm really nice about it, but I, I think they're always surprised. It's like, oh yeah, I give all, no, I just go into a big thing and I, I use their question to like explore a concept uh, and demonstrate, you know, the misconception mm. behind the question. That's my big thing is trying to identify mm. what is someone's misconception behind the question. <laughs> but back to your question, because that was an important question. Like, how should students approach things? Um, you know, students should, just like I think they approach most every topic uh, that might be controversial, if you want to be heard, um, you need to be a good listener. Right, it's just like a conversation. Um, if you come into a conversation and you just think the other person's wrong, and but you're unwilling to hear anything that they say, that conversation is probably not going to go well. Right, it's going to go like most internet uh, YouTube debates. Right, there's going to be a lot of talking over each other, um, and that can happen if you have a faculty member that's kind of, you know, maybe they were willing to listen, but if you just attack them, and they feel attacked um chances are that interaction is probably not going to go very well so i think from a young earth creationist perspective a young earth creationist is a christian and i think that they should take on characteristics of being a christian um first of all should be a good student right and that doesn't mean you have to be like an a student it just means you have to be an attentive student you have to actually maybe have talked to the faculty member about maybe other topics so you're not just like i, I never talked to you i never came to class then you had this one lecture on this one topic that I care about. I came in and I made a big deal about it. Uh, that's, you know, I would be able to deal with that, but I think there's a lot of faculty who wouldn't be able to deal with that, right? They would be like, who are you? You decided to come in this particular classroom, you know, this particular day and this particular time. Uh, you obviously are on a mission and you just want your particular voice to be heard. Um, and that wouldn't even be fair to the other students in the class if you co-opted all that time either. So I think what you need to do is you need to gain the respect of the faculty member. 
And if you have the respect of the faculty member as an intelligent student who knows how to think through things and obviously has done well understanding other material, and you simply don't agree with them on a particular topic, and you ask them questions about it, could you explain this to me and let me let me let me tell you why I feel like um, you're wrong or that you haven't maybe you haven't uh, demonstrated your point very well and I would just like a chance to be able to rebut that I think most faculty would be willing to have that conversation with a student that that, that seemed like mm -hmm. they want to have a conversation so that would be my big thing it's just it's the it's the kind of the attitude of the student and it's the same thing I think faculty ought to have the right attitude towards students in accepting that they're not all going to have the same ideas when they come in the classroom and they're not they're come from different places and they have different concerns. And I don't know what all those concerns are. And I just need to be sensitive mm. to, to all those. I don't sounding like kind of like a, a liberal pansy or something when I say it that way, but there's just general basic good manners and truth to yeah. respecting each other. Uh, yeah. Well, no, it's in interesting. Life. Um, like those, those videos you mentioned, um, I've just recently got some guts at given did a video on, on like with the little mini series, I guess from younger, the, Oh yeah. Okay. From Genesis I, I don't know what it was honestly from, but yeah, yeah, like, you know, the teacher's like, Oh, you know, I don't have an answer to that. And that's what, like, I don't know. I mean, sure. I'm sure there are some that happens sometimes out there, but honestly, like, um, I, what I would expect is the teacher's going to feel embarrassed if like, they actually do feel challenged if they do they're gonna feel embarrassed like they're gonna like double down like they're gonna get mad they're gonna <laughs> give you a bad grade you're gonna be on their bad list yeah uh, it's human nature yeah. and like that's just not i don't know any situation where that's gonna work out well um but with that being said i have genetic, genetic students, students like yeah that. I, I teach genetics and they're all, they're almost all um, pre-med students. Okay. So they're going to medical school. Genetics is a really important class for them. And it's a very intensive class, huge amount of content, but my knowledge of genetics is not <laughs> infinite by any means. And so I have students that are exceptional memorizers, right? They know every single molecule that's part of transcription and translation. They know every trans factor and element, right? And I can't remember all those things. And I have students who are just like, they know it all, but then if I don't get some, they have to duck stuff <laughs> that's like TF2D, not TF2C. It's like, that's not really important to point out, but they feel like they, you know, yeah. they want to look smart. Yeah. Well, sorry. That's I mean, that, tangential. It's, yeah, that's somewhat about. related. Um, yeah. So on the other hand, though, I don't, I don't know if like they're not, I don't think the this idea of like we're going to prove the teacher wrong is actually an attempt to, you know, convince the teacher. Like, honestly, like nobody's expecting to convince the teacher. I think it's like a maybe an audience thing. Um, and yeah, so I guess. Yeah. I mean, does that do you think that changes the answer at all? Like it, it, it should our approach change? Well, yeah. I always answer, well, speaking uh -huh. as a teacher, when I get questions, you know, they always say, oh, there's no such thing as a bad question. I've, I've heard some bad questions, but 
the challenge is to take any question and turn it into something that everybody can learn from. Right. So I, I really actually enjoy that challenge, especially in my non-majors biology class. You can get some wacky questions. And the thing is, can I find either what the misconception of the question is without like calling that person out and saying that they're dumb, right? It's just like, th that's a really interesting question. I think what, I think what's happening here is you're conflating this with that or, you know, whatever. And, but what, what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, I'm going to make this a teachable moment, not for the person who asked the question, but I'm really making a teachable moment for everybody else. So if anyone ever does ask questions like these anonymous question days, and they're asking kind of a very personal question or they want to know the answer for them. And they want me to know that they have this question they think I can't answer. Um, I don't just answer their question. I try to put it in the perspective of like, how does this fit in the bigger area of biology and what can we learn you know, from this mm -hmm. question? Uh, and that usually also deflates any kind of tension that's possibly in the room too. And it also deflates the idea of a student that's just doing a kind of a performative act, right? They, they just want the attention or they want to feel like, you know, they may have, you know, they're really hyped up on young earth creationism mm. and they think they have all the answers. And I am, you know, I'm not going to just shoot them down. I'm going to try to, you know, tell them where mm. they might need to rethink that question. And usually that is, you haven't really thought through that whole thing. Cause if you followed out your trail of thought, that's going to lead to X, Y, and Z problems. And I even toss in mm. usually a theological problem too. And that's my way of showing them that I understand mm. there's other things. There's other questions here. Right. And there's other things behind your question besides mm. just the question yeah. about science. Um, so all of those things provide a classroom context in which students, um, generally enjoy listening to those answers because they're all getting something out of it. There's always somebody in the classroom is like, oh, why are we even talking about this creationism thing? In other words, the biggest problem students in the class might be the ones that are like completely like, like we don't even need to even think about creationism because that's just stupid. And my answer to that is when I even get, I, I sometimes have questions that actually insinuate that. And what I point out to them is I didn't talk about how young earth creationism is something that still a large portion of the, the American population believes and is influenced by. And therefore it's not, it's something you shouldn't be ignorant about. Just like I'm asking the young earth creationists in the room to say, I think you need to understand something about evolutionary theory, like what the actual theory says. Um, you, you know, those who don't believe in creationism, I think you also need to understand something about what creationists believe because you have misconceptions as well. And I know young earth creationists and I understand their, I understand their theological concerns and their reasons for behind mm. their, their beliefs. Right. And I'm sympathetic to some of those hermeneutical issues and theological issues. And so I can usually respond in a way that shows the young earth creationists in the room. Yes, I get why these have been important. These are important questions for you. And I also, I also am good about telling them just like I think I mentioned earlier, you know, for students who come talk to me, this isn't about here's the answer, right? Here's okay. Today is your day <laughs> in which you have to choose slides. No, in fact, you'd be, you'd be a fool. I, I've even said this to classes. I say, you'd be, 
you would this it would, it would not be smart of you to listen to three lectures and then just completely abandon some view you've held for many years and just like say oh, okay i was totally wrong and i'm just going to go all the way over here and i'm going to believe this other thing right i don't want that because we know that that's doesn't usually work out well um for people when they when they have to transition that kind of uh, amount of mm. worldview stuff over in a very short period of time i'd say it's lifelong learning you know this is you're going to go through stages where you have a bunch of different questions and all those questions won't be answered by a single mm. thing or a single model um i don't have all the answers like zach do not ask me all of your your like hardest questions because i don't have the answers to all those questions i have some ideas but i know that i've changed my mind as i have read more and thought more i've evolved over time in my thinking and i don't expect that to ever change and the only time i will be able to tell you the answer is in the next life right and then i will have the answers mm. for you all right um let's see here uh top 10. hey okay. let me let me say one more thing mm. about students in the classroom and just um uh, how should i put this dealing with students who are upset or mm. maybe have different views um, I have a completely different interaction that's not about young earth creationism, but I think it illustrates the teacher or uh, faculty professor student uh, interaction. I had a, I had a, just a, a couple of years ago, I had a Chinese student in my class. It was during the pandemic. Uh, I think it was probably okay. fall of 2020. And this particular student I had talked to multiple times outside of class and office hours. Uh, helping her through th through some things. And in my genetics class, uh, we talked about coronavirus, of course, you know, because that was going on. And so I, I had a lot of updates on that. And, you know, I had talked about coronavirus and I talked about uh, some of the molecular genetics of it, the genome, and like how we assess the sequence and compare that sequence to other sequences from other organisms to figure out the origin point of different viruses. And she showed up at my my door a few days later and she was like visibly kind of shaking and, you know, it's like, come on in, sit down. What, what, what do you want to talk about? And, and she was just like so nervous. And she told me like, Dr. Duff, you know, I have to tell you that um, you're wrong about everything you said, you know, in, in class. And I'm really offended. Like, I, I, I don't even know whether I can even say this because I'm just so upset. Um, you've just like, you know, I, I just can't believe that you said those things. And I feel really offended. Um, you know, as, a, and, and she said, I feel really offended as a Chinese student. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking, what did I say? You know, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't call it the China <laughs> flu or any kind of provocative term that some other people might use. Right. I was just explaining the science of coronavirus and how it functions and what it does and what the latest evidence was. And she was just in tears trying to tell me how upset she was with me. Cause she's like, I really like you. I've learned so much from you, but I don't know if I can respect you anymore. And I'm trying to figure out like what I'm going through my head. Like, what did I say? You know, like, what did I do in this class that, that, that set her off so much? And she proceeded to tell me after that, 
that as I, as I was asking her, like, so what did I say? Well, then she explained to me, well, you said that the, the virus originated in China, like, you know, maybe from bats or, you know, somewhere in China, in the Wuhan region. And she said, well, that's absolutely false. Um, you know, that, that virus was made in the United States or possibly in Russia. And it was blamed on the Chinese. And we've been, you know, you know, give, been given all this grief for that. And she really believed it. Like she totally believed that the coronavirus had nothing to do with China. Um, and I knew from talking mm -hmm. to some other students that this is something that the Chinese students have been told by uh, various people in the Chinese government. Uh, and she was seriously taking her role as like a representative of Chinese uh, visiting here to hmm. set me straight. <laughs> like I got the official Chinese government <laughs> version of what the real truth was. Um, now that's a really interesting situation because here you have somebody who's completely convinced that they're right and they're confronting me on wow. something I've said in class and they really feel offended, like, like offended as a, like mm. racially offended in a way, like I've impugned their country mm. and their nationality. So I had a, I, you know, I, I talked to her, I, I apologized if I was, if I said anything that was, I didn't, didn't mean anything by that. And then I tried to explain to her that I'm simply relaying to you what is the consensus view of most people who have studied the DNA, the sequences and so forth. I'm not thinking of it at all in terms of, you know, a political, uh, you know, perspective or anything like that. And, you know, we got talking about how there's different viewpoints and obviously there's even different views about mm. the origin in China itself, right? There's debates about that. And I even said in class, I don't know exactly what the origin is, but here's different hypotheses. And here's the predominant hypothesis based on the observations we have today. So I took it as a lesson, as a way to start talking about like, how can we have a conversation in which you obviously have learned mm -hmm. a different story, right? You've been told a different truth than the thing that I think is the consensus mm -hmm. view of where the origin is. And so we have a very intense disagreement here. Um, and we're not just, I'm not just going to convince you you're wrong, but what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about how we could make a decision. Like, how could we go about resolving this problem? One way we could resolve it is we could think about all the different types of evidence we have at hand. And maybe those evidences are biased by, you know, mm -hmm. different political entities and so forth. We should talk through that and talk about what the chances are of that being influenced mm -hmm. that way. And I talked to her as a scientist and a geneticist, like what I see and where that data came from and so forth. There was no way I was going to, there was absolutely no way I was going to convince her that, and I didn't even try to convince her that she was wrong. I just tried to be a human being who tried to understand what she was saying and tried to get her to think about like how she would try to, what evidence she would provide, how she would like try to explain why her view is better than, than other viewpoints and never said like you're wrong just okay and she walked out of the room not shaking anymore not mm. crying anymore um thanking me for the conversation and i'm sure still went and told her friends that you know this professor 
you know, is, is just, he's a really nice guy. He's just <laughs> misled, but I'm fine with that. That's better than I'm an arrogant American who's just forcing yeah. a particular viewpoint you on you. And so you can see how that relates yeah. to the younger yeah, there you go. something. All right. Well, you, um, you asked for the, the most challenging <laughs> questions. So, uh, uh, oh. Uh, no, nope. mm -hmm. nope. you asked for Sorry, it. This is happening. All right. <laughs> Top 10 best evidence from science <laughs> that confirm a young earth. Um, I know the diamonds are on here somewhere. They gotta be, uh, helium and radioactive rocks. <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. We're not doing this. <laughs> no, no, okay, no. Well, stop about, that. Stop. Yeah, I will say something. No. About the top 10. no, I'm going to say something. Else. I'm not going to uh, go individually through the top 10. Okay, I'll fine. Just say fine this all right. One thing. If those are the top 10 things you can come up with, okay, you've got a big right. problem. There's, I mean, those are fighting words. They're not very good. I mean, like if that's the top 10 out of, out of hundreds of thousands of possible evidences you could bring forth to show that the world is young, that's the best you can do. Then your hypothesis has a long way to go to convince anybody. <laughs> All right, Dr. Duff, those are fighting words. <laughs> you said bring it strong, so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be a little more. I'm trying uh, to be more. Yeah, you, 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 you let okay? us down on the other end. Shoot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, last question for you. So, um, uh, you know, big part of this is like you know, young Earth creationist worried about that evolutionary teacher. You know, maybe that's resolved. All right. But when I, so when someone comes to your class, I mean, you're you're basically teaching them evolution or whatever, and that surely that's going to cause some doubts, right? Uh, if if you think that does happen, like how how does those usually happen? I mean, do you usually end up just convincing them, or, or do you have a lot of people that come to you with doubts about evolution, or what what does that look like? Oh yeah, I've had yeah, I have a lot of people come uh, with doubts. Um, and again, I don't, I don't ever say that they, like I said before, they don't need to make it like a decision. I'm not like trying to say like, this is something <laughs> you have to decide on today. Uh, I also have a lot of graduate students. You'd be surprised how many graduate students I've talked to. Um, they come to graduate school and they have been in science for a while and you can kind of make it through. And honestly, you can get through undergrad with really kind of like not knowing mm. a whole lot about evolutionary biology. Um, in most programs, you might like have maybe a couple weeks. Now we have a whole class. So every major has to take a whole semester class on evolutionary biology, but a lot of institutions, you know, you can't, if somebody tells you like, oh, I went to college and I got a biology degree and therefore I'm an expert in evolutionary biology. I'd be like, well, what did you take? Because, you know, most of our grads, even if they've taken evolutionary biology, aren't, are nowhere near an expert in evolutionary biology. Um, I just forgot what the question was. Uh, uh, student doubts about Christianity yeah. because you taught them evolution. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're asking me, how do I feel about potentially putting a student in a position where they change their mind on maybe some important doctrinal issue? Like they just, they decide I can no longer believe in a literal Adam and Eve. If we mm -hmm. want to just get right down to the, 
to to the the, the nitty gritty of it. Um, now this is where I might be different than other classes they might take, right? From mm-hmm. somebody who's not a Christian, um, because that is a topic that I won't necessarily push at all in class. If I get questions about it, I'll give them two or three different ways to potentially understand that within a scientific framework. Um, well, I'll say, here's what the scientific evidence suggests. And our best way of understanding that is that, that uh, it's hard to understand the human population ever being smaller than, you know, a couple thousand individuals. Um, but, you know, that, that is what the consensus understanding of genetics is, population genetics is today. And so, yes, everyone would have to deal with that right? They have to, they have to weigh like, how important is that particular piece of evidence? And how important is my other piece of evidence, my scriptural understanding of Adam and Eve? And I'd say, but maybe what might happen is you can't resolve it, right? There might be issues you can't resolve for your entire life. That doesn't mean because you can't resolve that question that you can't say, you know what? A lot of evolutionary biology actually makes a lot of sense. And it could explain a lot of things about this world and a lot of things about the diversity of life. And this might be God's way of making all that other diversity. I just can't personally accept that part of all that diversity is the origin of Adam and Eve from animal ancestry or something like that. You know, that that might be where a student is at. And I leave it as that's fine. Right. That's that's something that every one of you kind of has to grapple with. And so what I've done in class is I might present them a bunch of things that make them think about evolution in different ways. And so now they're going to have to start to sort those things out and say like, well, I used to think that only, you know, God made every single species and every single characteristic they have today that they see was something God specifically made for that particular species. And then after taking my class, they're like, well, now that really can't be because I can see that, you know, these things are so similar to each other that they share a common genome. And I can see how that variation would have been formed and how they could have changed as they adapted to different environments. Well, now what you've done is you've started to accept some evolutionary, you know, a lot actually of evolutionary biology. And now you're incorporating that into your thinking, but maybe it doesn't actually touch on any really important doctrine, right? It hasn't made you like completely change your view of the doctrine of sin or something, right? Yeah. So um, so, but you know, there are going to be those places where there's going to be some touchy things. Now, I don't really deal with the origin of life. Cause I say like, that was a long time ago and you know, it's hard to actually even investigate that scientifically, uh, in some, in some ways, because there's so many variables and so many unknowns. And so that's probably always going to be a question. And that's always going to leave room for a variety of different hypotheses, some of which are purely scientific hypotheses and others that are a combination of scientific explanations combined with um, metaphysical or or non-scientific explanations. Um, And so that's that's kind of a a side topic, and that's not really a central Mm -hmm. topic in evolutionary biology. Most evolutionary biology textbooks really don't deal with the origin of life. That's not it's not necessarily that I think they're afraid of dealing with it. It's just like, no, the topic of evolutionary biology is kind of mostly about what governs the diversity Mm. of the life around us today. What are the rules by which organisms are playing by, right? How is it that populations are changing? That's, 
you know, I hold my evolutionary textbook up and I say like three quarters of this book is going to be population genetics and what's happening like over the last couple of years with, with organisms. Like what are all the mechanisms that are causing organisms right now outside to be able to interact with all the other organisms and adapt and change to them, right? That's most of what you're going to learn in this class. And then there's kind of like this, right? Well, when we can apply this to the history of the earth and ask questions like bigger questions about the origin of, of, um, you know, mm. complex characteristics and, and the origin of major groups of organisms. That's a minor part mm. of evolutionary biology. Um, so if students want to just not think about that so much, cause maybe that hurts their <laughs> brain because they're trying to sort that out with other views they have, they can kind of not have to do that. And they can sort of learn all this other stuff about evolutionary biology and they can yeah. be better biologists for it because they can learn like how do viruses change and mm. what's happening with the coronavirus because that's all population biology and population genetics, which is evolution. So what biology. you're saying is you can be a young earth creationist and an evolutionist at the same time. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Now, I mean, this is why <laughs> oh, this trail. But this is why this is why Ken Ham and others like to define evolution in a very large way, right? Evolution, he always puts it in parentheses afterwards, molecules to man. Why is it molecules to man? Because that includes the origin of life, because you just have molecules and then you mm -hmm. go all the way up to making man. And so you say, like, if you believe in evolution, then you believe in all of that. Well, then of course that's going to attack all kinds yeah. of other theological so, or, or they're going to raise lots of other theological issues. Um, what he doesn't want his audience to really think about is the fact that the vast majority of what is under the umbrella of evolutionary mm -hmm. biology or evolutionary theory involves things that I think everybody really mm -hmm. can accept. Um, now they might not accept the total, the timeline, right? So you can say like, cause this is what young earth creationists do. They say like, 50 different species of canines all evolved from a common ancestor that got off the ark. And evolutionary biology would look at that and go like, uh, okay, I agree that they all agreed, they all came from common ancestor, but they couldn't have done that in 4,000 years. Like the, the population genetics and all the stuff from the three quarters of the book that they've learned shows that it, that, that just doesn't work. It doesn't, it, we don't know of any way that can happen, at least in today's understanding of genetics. Um, so what they do is they just compress it into like, oh, well, everything just happened much faster or like, we don't know the exact mechanisms. We'll find out future ones and so forth. But all they're saying is we're going to, we have an altered view of evolution, right? It's not not evolution. It's just a different understanding of mm -hmm. evolution. Um, but that doesn't sound good to an audience where you've taught them that it's uh, either evolution mm -hmm. or creation. Right. Like, there's no right. In between. It's much more simple that way. Um, sadly, things in life, oh, things yeah. in life aren't always that simple, sadly, uh, but that's also why like, no, but yeah. we're wired to one answers right. and we want simple answers because it, yeah. then we don't have to exactly. think, you know? And so if I don't have to think, I can mm. just go on to the next thing. Yep, the Bible's always clear, interesting coincidence. Yeah. There's the spectrums yeah. there. Um, yeah, that, no, that's why I like people like, uh, Marcus Ross and Todd Wood. Uh, they're they're willing to you know they obviously they they try to be open-minded and and what they're doing and 
um, they're willing to, you know, push, not push people's buttons, but like, you know, go the extra mile if they think the evidence is there. So that's certainly respectable, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so this has been fun. Um, sorry. Sorry, you guys can't get the top evidences against Young Earth creation or for Young Earth creation. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, uh, we're not going to. Sorry, not, not this time. Own... Maybe next time. We'll, we'll... <laughs> We'll spend five hours. We'll go through the I entire I hope it list. wouldn't take five hours. Shoot. Uh, you're, we're not going to own you this time. Hey, if we're going to do it, okay. you got to do a thorough job. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, this, has been, this has been a lot of fun. Everyone make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, Dr. Duff has a lot of great stuff on his channel uh, talking about North creationism. If you want to hear the best of... Uh, you know, why scientists don't accept young creationism, definitely go check out his channel. And you also probably even learn more about, you know, the, the teachers and uh, professors of young earth creationism too. Uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, any last words for your, for everybody? No, oh, keep on keep learning. On learning. And, uh, yeah, keep on thinking. Don't and if, if you want to be a student for Dr. Duff's class, how do they do that? Um, I'm sure the University of Akron would <laughs> gladly accept your tuition dollars. <laughs> and and my class this summer, both of my classes this summer, which start next week, are both asynchronous online. Oh, so man. Wow. Advertising for the college. So literally, if you want to take my evolutionary biology class in the space of five <laughs> weeks, all my lectures are prepared oh and ready to go. <laughs> Lovely. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. All right. This has been fun. I uh, hope you have a good night, Dr. Duff. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye.